Welcome to What Christians Should Know, How You Can Apply Biblical Principles to Everyday Life. Good day to all. As always, my name is Dr. Elijah Sadafel. Welcome to What Christians Should Know, Volume 2, Part 7, Repentance. As we've been doing the last couple of podcast episodes, this lesson will be divided into two parts, and this is part number one. So let's get started. So how this concept applies to your everyday life is simple. Repentance refers to a spiritual turning away from sin. Living a Christian life therefore means living a life driven by a repentant heart and a repentant mind. Repentance means much, much more than saying, I'm sorry, and to genuinely repent, you have to understand what the concept really means and have the motivation to change. In Mark 1, verses 14 to 15, Jesus proclaims to all those who are present, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus says, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Christ then repeats this statement in Luke 13, 5. The repetition is a literary device used to emphasize something important. The Lord was trying to draw our attention by italicizing, underlying, and circling the fact that unrepentance leads to death. Furthermore, in Matthew 3, 2, Christ says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Matthew 3, 8, it says, Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In Acts 3.19, the Apostle Peter says, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In fact, Peter also writes in 2 Peter 3.9 that repentance is so important that in his disposition of will, God wants everyone to come to repentance. Clearly, repentance is a crucial idea, but what does it really mean? Does repentance simply refer to saying, I'm sorry, or does it signify something deeper? Can anyone just repent, or do we have to have a relationship with God for it to be effective? What does repentance have to do with faith? Why does repentance seem so hard? Is repentance not really repentance if you go back and do what you repented for in the first place? Is repentance a lifelong process, or is it a one-time event? This podcast will answer these questions and much, much more. So what is repentance? In systematic theology, Wayne Grudem defines repentance as a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake and walk in obedience to Christ. Our English word repentance is derived from a Greek word that means to think differently, to reconsider or to change one's mind for the better, to feel a moral compulsion, or to have a sense of regret or remorse over a past behavior. Repentance involves a mental awareness that something wrong was done, and that awareness is intimately connected to deep emotional sorrow. The entire book of Lamentations is a perfect example of the expressed sorrow of Jeremiah over the desolation of Jerusalem. Of course, God handed the city and its people over to destruction because of their iniquity. In Lamentations 1, 1-3, the prophet writes, How lonely sits the city that was full of people! 
she has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. Jeremiah then qualifies the reason for this sorrow in verse 5. It says, For the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. In other words, Jeremiah feels regret over what is happening, but also knows the reason why it's happening. That reason is sin. The Psalms also include poetry expressed over the heartache caused by violation of God's commandments. Psalm 51 is the most well-known of this type of psalm. King David wrote it after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and Nathan exposed the affair. It's important to note that in these examples of David and Jeremiah, both men exhibited an external behavior because of an inward change of heart. So, out of their repentant heart emerge specific actions, confessions of wrongdoing with sorrow and laments. Throughout the Old Testament, there are many examples of people engaging in specific prescribed rituals in order to symbolize inward repentance. Wearing sackcloth and ashes or tearing of one's garments are two examples of the expression of deep inward grief. As far as the Lord is concerned, He wants us to render our hearts, not our garments. This means the Lord is overwhelmingly more concerned with there being a deep, visceral, emotional tear in our innermost being as opposed to just tearing our clothes and engaging in a ritual. The danger, of course, with focusing on an external behavior is that anyone can perform the ritual without having a sincere motivation behind it. That makes the ritual formless and void. As it says in Joel 2, verses 12 to 13, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Repentance results from the total conversion of a human being, so you aren't grieved by one big sin or one small sin, but by all sin. Repentance means you don't just want to take a few things out of an unfavorable environment and have two addresses, but you want to gather all of your belongings, pack up, and go to someplace safe without looking back. Repentance compels you to execute a complete and total return to God. So how does repentance work? The first thing to take note of is that repentance is only possible if it is preceded by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. There is an entire lesson devoted to the topic of regeneration in What Christians Should Know, Volume 1, but in a nutshell, regeneration means being born again by the Holy Spirit and being given a new heart and mind. In this secret act of God, He imparts new spiritual life to us. Regeneration is part of the entire process of salvation that continues Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. That is, Christ has paid the price for our sins, and the Holy Spirit actualizes that work in our lives so that He can put sin to death and raise us up to new life. 
our subsequent response to the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating us is repentance. So where does faith fit into the picture? Basically, repentance and faith are married. Although we may have two labels for them, in the end they are inseparably woven together as one. It is impossible to have legitimate biblical repentance without faith, and it is impossible to have legitimate biblical faith without repentance. What that means is this. If you're turning away from something, that means you're simultaneously turning toward something else. The turning away is repentance, and the turning toward is faith. Of course, you're turning away from sin and turning toward Christ. Conversion is a term used to refer both to repentance and faith in God. Regeneration, worked in us by the Holy Spirit, is what allows us to respond to God in faith and to repent. Faith and repentance are both wrought by the Holy Spirit. That means that we, as sinners, are incapable of doing what God commands based on our own compulsion. We have to be freed from the shackles of sin by God in order to exhibit the fruits of genuine faith and genuine repentance. Faith is a positive response that enables us to believe and trust in God. Repentance is a negative response where we no longer wish to do the evil things we used to do. The Holy Spirit never regenerates a person and makes them repentant so that they can just be neutral and simply avoid sin. In a similar way, the Spirit also never imparts faith without a sincere desire to change their ways. Because repentance involves turning away from sin, it involves knowing about two things, the destructiveness of sin and the righteousness found in doing God's will and following His commandments. Yet this knowing is only the first part of the process because many people may know what is wrong and what is right, but still choose to do evil. As it says in Romans 1, 28-32, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Even demons know that God is God. They just refuse to worship Him. Knowing simply means that you can mentally distinguish between right and wrong, but people are motivated to act based on emotion or heart condition. As it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 9-10, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Here, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that a regenerated person feels sorrow over what they have done wrong. This sorrow isn't an end in and of itself, but serves as a vehicle to turn away from sin without regret and into God's hands. A repentant person grieves over what they did wrong 
and then turns away from their destructive behaviors without feeling sorrow that they can no longer do what they used to. That'll be all for part one. Join us in one week when we take a look at what repentance looks like in the life of a real person, King David, as he expresses his repentance in Psalm 51. Until then, take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to What Christians Should Know. For more valuable content, please visit us at chesadoffel.com. For general inquiries, email us at info at wcsk.org.